This is Disabled Girls Who Lift. We are reclaiming what's rightfully ours one podcast at a time. It's Mary Beth, Chloe, and Marcia bringing you the thoughts and unpopular topics to get you out of that ableist comfort zone. Welcome back, everyone, to Disabled Girls Who Live. I'm over here in Northern California. Some of my hosts couldn't make it today, but I've got an amazing guest, one of a good, one of our good friends and Belgium local, for those of you out there. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about her experience with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, hypothyroidism, a few other things that are on the list. As well as how she got into pole dancing, <laughs> some cycling. Oh dear! <laughs> Super excited to have you, Rose. It's been a while, and we've Hi. been needing to talk about these things. Yeah, I think you need like a good day, really, <laughs> <laughs> for all that is me. <laughs> See, this is what we always say. This is part one of 250 episodes that you need to come back to because there is a long ass list that we need to cover. <laughs> well, there's that the fantastic meme that I've seen a few times. It's like when you meet your new therapist for the first time, and it's like a humongous book. And I'm like, that is just that's chapter one. Like, <laughs> no, for real, you have to have a presentation when you meet somebody for the first time. Exactly. Well, how's it going out there? How's it going yeah, in Belgium I, right now? I cannot complain because the sun is shining, and I I'm someone that absolutely chases the sun like I love summer I'm a summer baby I was born in June so I hate the winter I hate I hate the cold uh the cold hits me in zero ways so the sun is beaming through my window right now and I've got my fan going so I'm very happy it's oh, weird that sounds amazing it's been raining and cloudy but obviously springtime over here so it's it's super weird like it, it makes you think like are we going to have an extended summer I don't even know and I'm such a typical British person that like it's a very it's quite conservative where I live um so people are walking around in normal spring summer type clothes and I'm just walking around in like little Nike shorts and a tank top <laughs> <laughs> really bad look and I'm like I'm British forgive me wait so what's the lockdown looking like in Belgium right now you're you've been on lockdown for four almost five weeks just like us over here in the U.S. are they ticketing people if they see you out um it's really funny what they consider um important here um like every (laughs) Belgium is it is in lockdown and you do get significant fines if you're caught doing anything you shouldn't be doing um, and I, I'm self-isolating on my own. Like I live on my own in the little apartment. And I was cycling the other day. So I go out for a run or a cycle or a walk at least once a day on my own. Uh, and you can't stop. You shouldn't stop on a bench or anything. But I was going through the center of my town. And there was this really long queue with like people with huge gas machines. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, like what are they queuing for? And it was from an ice cream shop. Oh, shoot. Like, How is that allowed? Like that's <laughs> allowed but everywhere else is closed like everywhere else in that vicinity was closed with maps and like big uh signs all the benches are are crossed off so you can't use them but the ice cream shop is open that's so Um, odd I've been seeing that around too like dessert is essential it's what keeps people alive and I don't know if you're super into like medical marijuana or marijuana in general but that's like a big thing too that's open instead of liquor stores and yet you get the opposite. Like I have a friend in South Africa who keeps telling me that they, when they went into lockdown, 
they absolutely stopped the sale of alcohol and cigarettes. So not only have they put people into lockdown, but they're also forcing them through kind of a detox phase. Uh, oh shoot! I thought that I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, the world is kind of repairing itself <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah, and like not having all the cars out on the streets, like we're yeah, it's it's helping our environment a little bit. But <laughs> did you see that in Belgium there was a? I think it was in Belgium. There was a guy that had his car taken off him because he got caught like three times in a week driving it for zero reason. Like he he had no reason to be going where he was going. They just and he got stopped every single time. Yeah, the police caught him. <laughs> and it just made me think, because I was like, I've been, I've been in a car crash before in Belgium, and I was hit by a drunk driver. Um, obviously, it wasn't me driving, because I don't drive. But uh, it was totally the drunk driver's fault. And he could still drive his car for, like, 12 days after, before he got, like, an official... Oh, but oh, I think they're God. a bit desperate clutching at straws, aren't they? Like, they just don't know how to handle this, and they just want to make sure that they keep the they keep people staying at home, essentially. Yeah, I mean, whatever whatever it takes, because a lot of our people are not listening. A lot of us didn't take it seriously, you know. You have to actually put put all these crazy things in place, especially what they've been ticketing some people here and there. Uh, some countries I see, they're, like, chasing them back into their homes with the, oh. national, Air Force, oh. with the national forces. I'm so naive sometimes that like when it all went down, um, I, I texted my parents and I was like, why can't the world just come to one decision? Like, why can't every country have one person sit down and everybody agrees that the whole world is going to do it this way? And my mom and my dad were just like, Rose, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm like, it's so much easier. Because the problem was you had people crossing from Belgium into the Netherlands. When our gyms closed, everyone was driving to the Netherlands oh, or like what the hell? cycling to the Netherlands to use their gyms, which then meant they had like three times the capacity. Um, Wait, but what's border security like? Is it super lax? Now we've got a travel ban. Like now we've got some ser- serious like bans in place. And I, I, I believe there's absolutely no travel allowed. Our airport is closed. Our trains are only running like locally. Uh, and I think it's only essential travel. So like people who have to go on a business trip to the UK can take the USR. I don't know. But yeah, like it's, there's very, very little movement. I have a friend that works at the docks and he said it's absolute madness because I think they're, they're, they've almost doubled the income that they have coming from other countries in order to kind of stockpile the country. So yeah, it's, it's weird. Like I had a few, I had some very minor travel plans uh, and I have not yet looked at my refund policy because I don't want to deal with it. Mm-mm. No, I mean, I was supposed to go to Spain a month to, a month ago, yeah, for my birthday. And I finally oh, oh. got a refund for one of my flights. Oh, it's only half of it. You got to fill out all these forms. None of their websites work. None of their phone lines work. But I understand. You know, that's not anyone's yeah. biggest concern right now. Got to take care of our people first. So, so when I first got to know you, you know, obviously it was through Instagram. A lot of us met through Instagram. You were lifting around that time you're cycling now you're doing a little bit of pole dancing here how did you get into any of those so when I was oh my gosh I would say like it got serious like you know rather than just like the occasional gym trip it got serious when I went to university uh and that was in London I went to Roehampton Uni and I did my bachelor's there and they had a gym on campus uh and the people were nice and like it was this gym was tiny like the size of your living room (laughs) Um, but it had what you needed and like during the day no one was in it uh, and it was 
it was kind of my I didn't go to class so I need to do something productive thing um and I started lifting and I very quickly fell in love with the kind of endorphin high that you got out of it I'm someone that uh how do I describe that I need a way of like getting rid of anger I'm a very angry person oh god please um, yes and the more I lifted, the more I enjoyed that. But I had such significant anxiety problems that I was constantly like battling myself. So there were times I would sit in the changing room and I just couldn't bring myself to go into the gym. Um, but I would reward myself that I actually went near the gym. Um, and it just kind of like snowballed from there. And I started following more and more things online and watching YouTube videos and like educating myself and books, meeting more people that were into it. And therefore it kind of led to like, other areas of lifting so it wasn't just bodybuilding anymore I was like really I'm obsessed with deadlift so I found out about powerlifting and power building and Olympic lifting um but the problem was because of my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome um I very quickly learned the hard way that lifting wasn't really suited to me um without the right uh knowledge um and then I when I graduated from uni I decided I wanted to get a further diploma. So I did my personal training course for the place called the London Muscle Academy or LDM, LDNM as it's known in the UK. Um, and I qualified with them a couple levels. Uh, during that time, I, whilst I was at uni and whilst I was studying my personal training course, I severed both of my ACLs, but at different times, which was kind of my first understanding of how I wasn't invincible anymore and <laughs> realizing that, my Ellis Daniels very much presents itself in, I have such a weakness in my tendons and ligaments. I'm very fortunate that I only, I don't really dislocate. Um, I just get the odd pop. Uh, but I do, my bones are stable, but everything else in my body is very, very fragile. So I recovered from the first ACL break. And then, and that that is a whole story within itself because I was in the US actually for that. And the second one, kind of destroyed my life for a small period of time but I finished my personal training course on crutches uh and had to do the practical kind of telling them how to do it (laughs) typically do it myself uh so the photos of me are quite funny um and that that was just it for me once I had the knowledge that I needed uh it just took off and then yeah I mean I've had boyfriends that were into powerlifting and I've had friends that are into powerlifting and I started going to competitions and I got very addicted very fast to lifting heavy only to very quickly realize I couldn't do it so now we skip ahead to what eight years later from when it all started and uh, it's just like the only mental release that's ever really stuck for me uh you know you buy a pair of shoes and they look good for a couple of days and you love them but it's not the same as like repetitively lifting heavy no, seriously. And just that iron, everything that it gives you for... And and what kind of adaptations do you remember using for EDS or to accommodate for that? Well, the thing with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is it's, it's quite cruel in a sense that it can come and go in your life. It presents itself at different times. If you look at my mom, who also has it, she was a dancer when she was younger. She was a nurse. She was very, very good at everything. And then uh, around the time she gave birth to my brother, I think she was about 20, she developed significant chronic fatigue syndrome. And she's probably going to shoot me for getting that wrong. I probably got that date wrong. But uh, <laughs> around the time I was born, <laughs> she was bedbound and, you know, very, really suffering. 
Um, and I, we look at it as very much caused by the Elizanos, but then she had a period of time where you kind of like recover in a sense. And that's what I mean about it being cruel is you're like, oh, I get my life back. And now my mom is like 50, I'm sorry, mom. Uh, and she uses a wheelchair and she has like a ton of mobility aids, like everything you can think of under the sun. But it really helps her. And it's kind of done the same thing in my life in the sense that I've had times in my life where it's really impacted me. So I've, uh, for example, used wheelchairs for like long distances. My ex and I once went to, we have a place in Belgium called Paradise, or Paradise, I guess, in English. Um, and it's like a giant outdoor zoo safari thing that they have that you, you feel like you're in another country when you're there. And we went there and we rented a wheelchair and it was the only way in which I was able to do that that day. But the problem was I was then in a lot of pain anyway from sitting in the wheelchair all day. Um, and I felt a bit seasick as well from the, the way we went around. So <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like I'm at a point now where I'm, I was 85 kilos back then and I'm now about 68 kilos. I know you guys don't use kilos. <laughs> and because there's less weight on my body and because I am a lot fitter at this precise moment, I'm suffering less in some ways. I just have like the general chronic pain issue. Um, but there are a, a lot of adaptations I have to make to the way that I execute a movement in the gym. So like, for example, push-ups are a lot of strain on my wrist. There are a lot of strain on my entire body. So as much as I'd love to be able to do like 10 push-ups and clap in the air while I do it, I'm probably never going to try and do that. It's mm. more of a like, on my knee kind of push up. I, I tend to learn the hard way though. Like I'll do something like an overhead press with a barbell and my physio will be like really enthusiastic that I'm going to get like 20 reps out of it. And on the second one, I can feel that I'm hyper extending my shoulder blades too far back and I'm going to end up with an injury and 99% of the time I end up with an injury. So then I just end up floating around mad at myself, taking painkillers and anti-inflammatories because I didn't prepare myself well. Or there could have been like a better way to to make that lift or uh-uh. yeah. but over the last I've really gotten to know my body in a way that I never thought I would. Uh but it it can be frustrating. I think everyone who's probably listening to this and everyone who is part of the like let's say hashtag disabled lifters mm-hmm. community has had at some point unsolicited advice slide into mm-hmm. their DMs. Mm-hmm. And I very recently been really considering no longer posting any of my fitness stuff online because I'm so sick and tired of people who have not taken the time to understand me as a person through my page and just seen me lifting and have gone why are you doing it this is wrong or hey did you notice that your shoulders were dislocated yeah did you notice that your elbows are so not normal like oh my gosh I've had people comment on photos saying you shouldn't let your legs go far so far back and I'm like it's literally how I stand I don't have a choice (laughs) it's like saying to someone hey you should sit in your wheelchair at left angle of 90 degrees because you're telling a person who completely knows their body how to control their body exactly you don't know my life well so in that case did you have you been uh like just training yourself did you find your own trainer or coach to kind of watch your lifts or program it's a bit of a mix. So uh, it's like 50 50. Most of what I do is just from my own, yeah, like my own education. And like I'll write a program and a lot of stuff that I do, I walk in the gym and it's kind of like decide on the day what part of my body doesn't hurt today. Okay, I'll use that. But the other part is that, and one of the biggest reasons why I've remained where I am in Belgium is that I have a fantastic team at my um, sports physiotherapist. It's called Grit. 
I'll give them a little plug. And they work with uh, Belgian Olympic athletes. And like, I think one of the teams they work with is the toboggan team. But I didn't even know still existed. It's totally weird. The physio that I've been seeing for, I think, like two years now, he doesn't have any knowledge per se about my condition. But he's very, very accustomed to like recovery and adaptations. And like he listens to me, which is what's vital. Um, and within the team that I have there, I have a a lady that I see who's fantastic, who does deep tissue massage. She does like muscle release. I go and see her. We talk about what the problem is that I'm because I'm always suffering from something. Like at the moment, I've got like four injuries in my legs. And then he very much helps me with like he does like a personal training session with me, or he writes me a program that can help rehabilitate whatever it is that I'm suffering from. Uh, he, we've been working together for a long time. And when we first met, I could barely do one squat holding on to like rope. And now mm. the things that he has me doing, it like I love it because he smiles sometimes. And I see that's because he's like thinking of the journey that we've been on together. So I like that because I can walk into that place and it's literally around the corner from me and just say, okay, today my left ankle is really bad. And we address that. And it's like now I can continue my week without the worry. And before I had that, I was able to do a lot less. Um, so I feel really, really fortunate because obviously a lot of people don't have that in our position. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, like I say, it's kind of 50-50. Um, I really enjoy having independence with my, with my sport and fitness, but I do also have to be told either by my mom, which is a lot, <laughs> or by my trainer or whatever, like slow down, you're doing too much, this is how you should do it. Um, because I, you know, I am that person that tends to learn the hard way with most things. Yeah, you get excited and you see a big weight and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm about to hit a PR today. Well, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it's it's that case of, I think, I mean, I'm 26 now and I I still think I will be learning about my body until the day I die. Um, Mm -hmm. But I certainly understand myself the best I have in my life. Uh, And something that there's that whole process of grieving what you don't have and being grateful for what you do have. Uh, and I've been really going through that probably in the last year the most because it was accepting all the things that I got excited about and then realized I couldn't do because I, I often present very much so like any other person in the gym and a lot of people don't understand that I can do things that I only I can decide. Um, so where someone might see me doing 10 squat jumps and like really jumping high and landing really hard, they'll then suggest like an hour-long class that involves that and I'm like no I did 10 and 10 is what I could do I can't do the whole hour-long class but it's it's a frustrating process of like when I got into powerlifting I adored it but it was only like three months before I had to give that up and then running was something I fell in love with and very quickly that was just way too much for my condition Mm -hmm. so it's just constantly finding you know ways around the no yeah well the great thing about us and you know the the people that we find in our industry is is you can you can adapt with your coach or your trainer and tell them hey this is what my limit is I can only do 10 reps today I can only work out for half an hour today or this is what works for me and my you know limitations or it's it's you know me missing a hand I had a work together with my coach to let him know how to properly balance a weight you know for a squat or a deadlift you know how that goes and you just learn along the way and that smile that the coach gives you 
yeah. after having worked what yeah. six months, almost a year, and something finally clicked. Yeah, that's amazing. And I then, what about really- pole dancing? How'd you find that? Oh my gosh. Uh- <laughs> I have to admit that anyone listening that has a Lizanos syndrome is probably going to be very mad that I do pole dancing. Because it's not the safest for your shoulders. And one of the most common problems with my type of Lizanos is shoulder issues. And I do have a few uh, minor impingements in the muscles around my shoulders. But having said that, I only do, I currently just do, well, before the lockdown, um, one hour a week. And I... Although I could progress up, I tend to stay in the kind of baby classes uh, because the movements used in the baby classes or beginners, I should say, should say um, are less strenuous than if we got into the big guns and started doing the, the really hard stuff uh, that involves a lot more shoulder mobility and range of motion. Um, it is interesting because I got into pole at university kind of for fun uh, and for street cred and fell in love with it everyone was getting poles in their room but I wasn't that ballsy wait you actually had classes at your university for pole yeah yeah yeah. oh my gosh I remember this one time there was like Berkeley where you at (laughs) uh we didn't go down very well with a lot of people there we put on a show once which was for charity like we were raising money for (laughs) testicular cancer and there were some female lecturers that just kind of lost lost it with us um and I think there was a petition at one point to have us closed down it was hilarious um, but we always prevailed because pole dancing has such a stigma around it. Um, but if you came to a practice, it wasn't like a bunch of hotties. It was a bunch of like ran down students with glasses on in <laughs> art, think really crappy music and just totally like not, it was not attractive. So yeah, so I got into it and I really enjoyed the fact that it would, it would use parts of your body that other exercises don't do. Um, and also it was kind of like, it was a way of doing a sport without having to have too much communication between you and another person. And it wasn't that competitive. And I really don't like competitive sport. Um, and whilst I was at uni, I was running and helping uh, students who weren't into competitive sport find their way into non-competitive activities. So it kind of was in, time, was, was in line with that. And then when I left uni, I found a group not far from where I was living in a place called Putney. So I was doing that uh, once or twice a week. And that was when I discovered that the recovery in my knee from my ACL surgery limited my legs. So there were a lot of movements that involved you being able to bend your leg like fully around the pole. And I would have to like grab my ankle and like wrap myself around the pole. Uh, So I used to get really frustrated. So I stopped for a really long time. And then when I moved here to Leuven, I just thought, you know what, it's time. And I found a class, again, not far from where I live. Uh, And the lady that runs it is, I think she's Brazilian. So it's done in English, which is fantastic for me. My Flemish sucks. And yeah, it's just once a week and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and any time that my body feels, let's say I'm having what I call a bad body week um, and no amount of anti-inflammatories can help, I won't go. Like I, that's the one thing I'll cut because it's mm-hmm. just so dangerous for my shoulders. Um, but I love it. And I just enjoy the fact that mixing the choreography and the, the different movements on the pole, it's like, I am like, if you get, to, if you see me or you see me like during the day, I'm not really the sexiest person. Uh, I'm rather more like a <laughs> man. And at pole, I get this like hour of feeling like Beyonce. So mm-hmm. it's, really well, it's, it's such a great form of expression. It, it is a, you know, it's a dance form. It's an art form. And a lot of the times it is a competitive form. And when I've seen 
damn good um, dancers on stage. I'm just like, I don't understand why there's this huge stigma. They're just up there doing a dance. And a lot of them are super athletic. You know, it takes a lot of upper, upper body work. And actually what I was going to recommend is <laughs> I when they hang from upside down and it takes a lot of, you know, leg work and leg grip, that's all you could do. You don't need to use your yeah, shoulders. <laughs> I do. I do. You know, it's classic with me. I have Flip a big issue with spinny. So I spend just a lot of time hanging upside down because once, once yeah. you get the once you get it once you've gone upside down once and you get used to it you never stop but it's just that first time and I'll never forget the first time I successfully went upside down I like I was like upside down crying um dude I could be the next just upside down pole dancer all the time right just never ever be like stood up just always upside down then you'll have Um, these massive legs that are just crazy (laughs) strong (laughs) yeah it's kind of weird. Like when you say that about the stigmatization around it, I've always had a huge issue with it. Cause I have a few friends that are, I mean, one of these girls jumps to mind that I, I know from my past and she's just the most incredible pole dancer. Like she's absolutely amazing. And she faces such a backlash for the fact that you don't, obviously you don't wear a lot of clothes. What people don't understand is it's not just about being attractive. It's genuinely because if you, if you're wearing clothes, you don't stick to the pole and all like, but also because it is such a, a female dominant sport, there are plenty of men that do it, but it is majority women. I think mm-hmm. anything that has a big group of women being independent and strong within themselves is going to get stigmatized. It's oh, yeah. just the weirdest thing. Oh, yeah. It's scare society. Like, oh, my God, pole dancers are going to take over the world. We got to stop that. Mm-hmm. Oh, all of our husband's money is going to <laughs> watching pole dancers. No, we got to stop yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I don't like is when the women cool. turn against the women. Um, who is a woman that shut y'all down? Just oh my gosh, just a random like, community. It was a lecture uh, from I think the Catholic Society or something. And like oh. I'm not anti-religion, but I'm not religious myself. I'm not anti-religion. Um, but it did bother me that it came from a place of like she had her own religious values and therefore everyone should follow. Um, mm-hmm. and the university was we had a lot of funding cut at times as well because. You don't want to fund pole dancers. You don't want to give them a room. You'd rather give it to the footballers, um, which was just nuts because I think the the money raised during our pole shows was more than, if not double, a lot of like other societies were were bringing together. But whatever, I'm not sour. It's fine. No, seriously. And one other thing I want to talk about. I mean, your just your entire society is so different from the American society. I mean, as shoot, the East Coast is different from the West Coast. Yeah. We all have different ways of living and different ways of reacting to these these things like pole or powerlifting you know was such a grungy and dirty sport and now more and more people are getting into it yeah. it's more mainstream Funny, isn't it? it's <laughs> but really because like I'm it, I'm more like I'm more experienced in your your world than I am the European way in the sense that something I have immensely struggled with living in Belgium and being British or being, I'm multicultural because I've lived all over, but Belgium is quite a conservative country. Um, they always describe themselves as being very much to themselves, very, you know, they don't tend to, they're not going to shove their opinions in your face. And a very mm. British thing is like, you're going to know if I've got a problem because I'm going to say mm. it. Um, we are quite tactless. Um, so here I did face that. I, I, I went back to a world of like, 
judgment, let's say, misplaced judgment. And the, the it's funny because the pole dancing groups that I know of here in the Flemish region of Belgium, it's so hush-hush. And it, it, a lot of the girls I know that, that post their poll stuff, they all have private accounts. Um, oh, because shoot. they don't want their, their peers to know that they do it. Yeah, um, well, it's kind and, of like that here still, unless, yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of like that here still. And it's not, like just it's sex work in general is always going to be stigmatized. And, you know, pole dancing, yeah. some people consider it as sex work, some people don't. Um, but the fact that it is sexual and intimate in some way, and, you know, a lot of the times you don't wear clothes or whatever, you're showing a little too much skin. It's just, it's, it's gotta be normalized a little bit more, but what about, what about disabilities in Belgium? How, how are disabled people treated? (laughs) How long have you got? Do they Uh, act like you don't even exist? Oh, geez, dude. I could. Or accessibilities. What are accessibilities like, man? I should okay. I have to compose myself, otherwise I will just rant. Um, okay, so this is, and I'm gonna say this before I get yelled at by anyone. This is my experience, and it's very right. much valid. My experience. Belgium is so bad with accessibility. In fact, Belgium is what I would consider ableist. They have all, you know, when you know, like the surface of things. You look at, like, let's say Belgium was a group of people. And that group of people is giving 5% of their income to charity. And therefore, anything they do is okay because they give to charity. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. So with Belgium, they have all the necessary requirements-ish. And therefore, that means they're doing enough. But put it this way, um, I don't ever tend to yell in front of my mom. And I had never done that. And not at her, but at other people. I had not done that until I'd lived in Belgium and gone around with my mom who uses a wheelchair. We have threatened to take a lot of places to court because we've gone to venues and my mom has been treated like a second-class citizen. It's the health and safety like doesn't exist. Um, there are very, very minimal adapt- adaptations made. Obviously, for me, having two legs that I use day in, day out, it's not as bad. But Another example of this is that I am not currently working and that is not because I'm not capable. That's not because I I have a fantastic CV, something I'm very proud of. I speak enough of the local language to get by, uh, something that could only be really like made better. But I have to go via, you have like a job agency that covers most of the, the, all of the Flemish region of Belgium. And then there's like a side chick version that for people who have a diagnosis, um, because I don't present as any different, let's say, I wouldn't say I've had the best treatment. I have really struggled with them, but I have been registered as job seeking for a year and a bit. And obviously you got to, you got to throw into the mix that it's quite a nationalist country. I am a British person. Um, I don't have a unique specialism and there are a lot of limitations as to what I can and cannot do. For example, I'm also autistic and I know my limitations when it comes to working in like a call center environment. I also have some kind of pride and because I've worked my way up educational wise, uh, I won't just take any old work. There are a few things, but mainly I really struggle to get work that will accommodate that. Yeah, I might be late to work a lot or I can't start ridiculous hours or I won't take trains in rush hour because I got to sit down, et cetera, et cetera. 
there are just these kind of minor things that have to be handled but I have felt such a shame for living here that I had in place in London so I've kind of been both worlds it's just I mean where I live is quite built up it's it's this beautiful place it's gorgeous it's not called a city but I personally view it as a city because it's big it's got shops it's got everything you need it's got local parks it's got it's got two h three h&ms in it so i mean at the end of the day (laughs) if i go up and down the main shopping street which is really famous there's two sides to it with my mom in her wheelchair including pharmacies and restaurants she can only get in three places and that kind of says it all to me like she can't board a train on her own she can't can't get through the door i often go to shops and i say do you have a ramp and they just look at me blankly and they're like no and i'm just like who doesn't have a ramp in 2020 like just buy a ramp so yeah no i mean like i said i have to compose myself because i could literally rant forever but it's really 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 bad here and the education is super bad and people are so ableist and i i have gone through in the 11 years that my family have been here i have only lived here for two years because i had to because the health the health care is really good uh, especially compared to the UK, but the actual stigma of being vocal about the fact that I'm disabled, and also this country calls it handicapped, which drives me mad because that's not a phrase that I use. But it's a it's mensa met handicap, which means people with handicap. And honestly, every time they say, it, I shiver because I'm like disabled. And even then, I don't love the term disabled because it makes me sound like I'm less able, right. um, which I am, but I just don't like saying it. It's it's a it's a tough thing, but I would much prefer disabled than handicapped. And it's another. I mean, if you saw my mom, you would straight up say she's disabled. But the the local government still don't view her as disabled. So me having any chance of getting, I know, I see your face. Me having any chance of getting registered as disabled here is like slim to none. So I haven't bothered. Um, the only thing that I get assistance based on is my mental health and my autism. So if my psychiatrist or psychologist was to turn around and say, yeah, she's perfectly stable. I would get everything taken away from me, which is just nuts. If you knew my medical history, I just don't get it at all. So yeah, that's that's kind of the quickest and easiest summary I can give. I hate to be a negative Nancy, but there's no way I can sit and lie. <laughs> no, no, that shit is real. And for anybody that thinks, you know, we're in the 2020 era where we have all accessibility needs and healthcare and everything, uh-uh. We were like, oh, it's so good. Like, if we went to Disneyland Paris, my mom and I, for like our first ever holiday together after she got her wheelchair, kind of like a celebration thing. And I've, I've raised my voice at a lot of people at Disneyland Paris, which is supposed to be like the happiest place on earth. But I mean, don't get me wrong, I should say there were some incredible people that made that trip so lovely for my mom. But they're, they're kind of the things that are most important, like accommodation and transport and advice, really, really lacked. <laughs> I lost it and started swearing in French. It was awful because <laughs> there, were, there were so many scenarios where I was like, you should be doing better. Like, I just get really mad. And I think it comes from a place in me that is worrying about my, I'm looking, when I look at my mom, I'm looking at my future, 100% looking at the mobility aids that I'm going to need and that I'm not that far away from uh, and things that I consider like on a daily basis. So when somebody mistreats her, it's not only that they're hurting me because they're mistreating my mother and they're being ableist, it's also that I'm going, no, please get better at this, because when it comes to me, I'm not going to put up with exactly. it. Exactly. And I'm not going to have a mini version of me, and there's no mini roads that's going to be yelling for me. It can make you feel very, very vulnerable. I think Belgium is about, we say Belgium is 10 years behind uh, more advanced countries, 
Uh, and I think that's a nice way of putting it. Well, but I mean, if you're saying Disneyland Paris doesn't have the same accessibility features, like what the hell? That's a they really think they big... do. <laughs> they really they think so much pride. But the problem is, is I, I guess they've just never had one thing that bothers me the most. And I, I used to work in London doing stuff like this. Is they very, 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 very infrequently actually go to the source and ask that person. So instead of asking my mother or I or someone like us how best to plan mm. for people our nature, they go and they just make assumptions. And then they're like, well, we have a ramp and we have this for the blind and this for the deaf and blah, blah, blah. So we're good, we're good right? And I'm there pulling my hair out. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no, it's still, I mean, even here in the U.S., it's like a checklist for them. Like, okay, we have a ramp, so we're accessible. Okay, we have an elevator, so we're accessible. But your elevator isn't big enough. A lot of these wheelchairs, you know, they're much larger nowadays. They're motorized wheelchairs, and they can't fit in them. So what does that mean? They're not equitable. And they're like, well, the step's only small. And like, yeah, okay, you come and lift this thing. Like, I can lift, like, 120 kilos, but I cannot get this wheelchair up that step. Like, it's not even funny. And also don't want to put my mom through in the embarrassment of having like three people try and she just makes it feel awful. Or to think the safety hazards that are involved. Like, okay, Okay. let me go ahead and try this. And if she gets injured, we're suing your ass and you're going to have to put one in anyway. So if you put one in now at low cost or you put one in after your $50 million in debt, what's it going to be? You know, the recently, my just before the lockdown, my mom and I went on a trip to London. It was kind of like a, a late 50th birthday present slash I was adamant to give my mom some form of a trip where she would not face disability discrimination or like issues like that. So I was like, I know, Mola, I know London like the back of my hand and I know how good it can be if you know your way around in terms of disabilities. It has a long way to go for things like autism but it's hell of a lot more advanced than other places in the world. And comparing it to where I live in Belgium, it's like, yeah, completely different. So we went to London for about a week and my mom just didn't want to come back. Uh, She doesn't like England at all. Like they are not looking to move back to the UK, but this trip to London was so emotionally (laughs) lovely for her and the treatment she got. Like, But the biggest thing was that a lot of people in Leuven, where I live, tend to say because it's quite an it's beautiful and it's old so a lot of places the doorways are small and there are stairs because the heritage is there and because you know we can't just knock it down and change it and they uh, haven't renovated it at all right Mm -hmm. and that's their excuse and then I'm like okay well let me just take you on a little guide because I took my mom around London in the oldest buildings you can imagine (laughs) she got round the whole of Madame Tussauds which is an old building and it has elevators all over it with a personal guide, she got around all of the old buildings in the old part of London. Literally nowhere that we went, she could not get in or go around. And they made sure that she had someone helping her at all times. Wow. So that excuse in in where I live now does not wash with me because I'm like, well, London's older than you. (laughs) (laughs) Renovated since the bombings in Leuven. There's been a huge renovation. So it's just not a valid excuse to me. I'm, it's, I just won't let it sit. So I sometimes feel like going around with a clipboard and pretending I'm really, really official and just writing down the names of all these places, looking at them and being like, not doing good enough. 
But yeah, I mean, as as I am, like I talk about my mom a lot, but it's as I'm someone who I can still carry heavy bags and, and I can still be there for her. When there are periods of my life over the last few years where I've been significantly affected by my disabilities. So you've got like mom and I that need help and we're kind of like looking out for mm-hmm. each other, but we're a bit like dumb and dumber. In those moments, we stopped, we isolated a lot. We stopped going out as much because it's just so stressful. Um, and so Because you know you won't get the assistance that you need when you're out in public. That's not fair. Oh, yeah. And they're uh-huh. just not exposed to it. Like if you come here on a holiday... I like to say to people, count, just count how many people you see who are of color, who are not straight, or who are uh, visibly disabled, because you will have less than 10. (laughs) You just Mm -hmm. won't see. It's just so mad. When you come from London, where you're just surrounded by diversity, and you move to somewhere where it's just like, not there, even in like the cities, it's, it's maddening. Uh, but I think that's just because everybody stays home. So actually, that's the other thing. During this lockdown, I go for this bike ride around the really beautiful part of my where I live. And I have seen this woman, and I shout out to this woman, who's using an electric wheelchair. And it's got flowers around the wheels. I just love that. And she is whizzing up and down these main roads, like where the cars normally go. Mm-hmm. She looks like she's having the time of her life. But I've seen her every damn day. And I've never seen this woman before in my life. So it's almost like she's gone, woohoo! <laughs> everybody's out of my way nobody is gonna like piss me off so I'm gonna go ride my electric wheelchair around this damn city all I like I just That's feel hilarious. for her because it, it must be so freeing like like you're saying right now while everybody's on lockdown yeah yeah she's she goes out for daily exercise I guess can you please record that and send it to me that I really the want best thing I ever just- I just feel like it's like, or just be friends with her. So wrong. Just be friends with her. Yeah, no. I mean, and what, especially, okay, like a place like Leuven, where they're like, well, there aren't very many disabled people. There aren't very many people of color, so there's no need to make an accommodation. They've got to be thinking like you in that anybody become can become disabled at any point. Get into a major car accident. You'll you'll mm-hmm. become old or just anything. This could be you, and this is how you have yeah. to think. This is a framework when you're building a building or starting an organization. Like you've got to center it yeah. around people like us. And it's it's really bad because Leuven is an Erasmus city, so it has like I think it's like 300 cultures pass through it every year uh, because of all the foreign students come in. And there is a huge, there's a huge community of people from other countries. It's just like, you know, they keep to themselves and they don't go to the main areas. And it's really freaking sad because it's like, those are the people I want to meet. Like, I want to meet people of diversity. Like, it doesn't really matter what makes you diverse. It's just as long as like your mind is open. But it's very difficult because, yeah, I walk around and I present as like a, I hate this term, but like a normal person. So I had this like giant like bumper sticker that I could just like put on everything I own that says like I'm not normal. Talk to me. Yeah, well, that's a lot of big thing about individual, individual, invisible illnesses that that we always have to come with terms and conditions. You have to walk around with a shirt saying I am right. I am different. This is what I need. It's actually one of my dreams. I really want to have just a small minor league maybe maybe a bit bigger than that um clothing company and I I massively the things I want to write on the back of t-shirts like I probably shouldn't say some of them right now they all have swear words in but I personally want to go and get a t-shirt printed myself just for me that says uh all (laughs) I have all these diseases and then just have like all my diseases written in small writing so people have to get really close 
and then in really <laughs> big at the bottom just like f off <laughs> because I am so sick and tired of people coming up to me in the gym and giving me unsolicited advice like oh my god you should squat deeper I can't my knees don't work yeah. like I'm allowed to do this how I want to freaking do it I know what I'm doing yeah. So I often just wish I had t-shirts that just had all these different things written on. Like, I, I honestly just want one that says, like, um, if you can read this, you're too close. Please go away. Yeah. Um, there's so many things. But I would I would love to have, like, a, a, a clothing brand that just represented invisible illness. Because often I think people do feel that sense of, like, I'll go into a place. And I, I know we shouldn't feel this way, but we do. We feel like we have to justify ourselves to the room. We feel like there are maybe other people in this room that have invisible illnesses. Can we be friends? But also how many people in this room are standing there and judging me because I'm wearing Nike shorts and an Adidas top, but I'm also saying I really have to sit down for the whole hour, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. things like that. And I constantly feel a sense of judgment. I constantly feel like people don't get me. And as much as I don't owe anyone an explanation, I'm always going to feel like I do. Right. So that, that's like the concept behind that is I've just spent, I've spent so much of my time thinking that people just don't get it because yeah, because I, I it's, it's also like, it's so comparable to the fact that so my mom only got her wheelchair in the last few years. And before that she was just as disabled. She just wasn't sitting down. People mm-hmm. now sympathize with her and give her such sympathy, yes, yeah, sympathy in a way that she never got before. Or when she uses her crutch to walk small distances. And I'm like, she's exactly the same person she was before she had the visible aid. Mm-hmm. But it's just because people just didn't. She would say she had these diseases or these illnesses and people would kind of go, oh, she's exaggerating. Right, now she's sitting in a wheelchair and it's like, oh, shoot, she wasn't exaggerating. And that is the problem I'm facing. And people often like, if you get me and my mom in the same space, they're focusing on her and her needs. And I'm often like, okay, she does need things, but like, so do I. Right. And they're looking at me like, well, you're not in the wheelchair. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a really big thing right now. Who's disabled enough for you to get benefits? Who's disabled enough for you to get, you know, or for you to be allowed to compete in an adaptive division? Or it's it's ridiculous. Or even right now with coronavirus and how they're putting a blanket statement over all young people assuming that young people are not immunocompromised and that we are the problem or that we are not disabled. You know? <laughs> You're forgetting that it is affecting young people. Yeah, it's, it's really, really sad. That's another thing we were talking about yesterday. It's this fear that all of us within this community, let's say the chronically ill community, all of us are having this thing right now where it's like you're constantly being, being bombarded by the news that like they're having to make decisions based on a person's health and risk factor. Like if you go somewhere that is running out of ventilators and you're significantly unwell and mm-hmm. there's a healthy person that needs a ventilator and then there's, let's say, me who has like Addison's disease and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and I'm like blah, 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 blah. Or my mom, like they're going to choose the other person over us. And that just like that put the whole of our community into like the biggest fear, bigger than bigger than we're already used to. Um, and that's something other people just take for such granted. And that's why it's so irritated when I see perfectly healthy and I say this in quotation marks that you can't visibly see perfectly healthy people are going and having parties and gatherings. And I'm like, you are being so selfish mm-hmm. because you get sick. You'll probably recover from this and you'll be fine. But someone's going to have to die in order for you to have that. Right. That's what they're not getting. Right. And that you don't realize that you're carrying diseases that you don't know about and spreading it around to three, four, ten other people. Yeah. Yeah. And the biggest thing right now, and you mentioned it a lot, is 
you, I'm sure, get this a lot where people tell you, well, you don't look autistic. You don't look like my autistic cousin. What do you mean? And oh. you've done a lot of work with the <laughs> National Autistic Society. We'll link the article of the, the episode that you were actually involved in. But how how was that experience for you? You know what? There's this, there's this girl I recently found on TikTok who's quite young. And she's just fantastic. She is stunningly beautiful. And she does these short TikTok. I need to remember her name. She does these short TikTok things and she just cutthroat gives it to you. And she does this fantastic one that I've been sending around to people that talks about how we say that, you know, autism is a spectrum. And she says, mm-hmm. but it's not linear. It's not a linear spectrum because people often say like, the, you know, this high and low functioning, which is terminology that I, it just drives me mad, but I have used myself. And she says, it's more like a color wheel, you know, like it's not like one case is this and one case is another. And she also brings on to the fact that, you know, you meet someone with autism, you've met someone with autism, you've not met the whole autistic community. Exactly. But obviously we live in a society where people's exposure to autism tends to be, unless they know someone with it, quite minimal. And I even have people who are diagnosed with autism messaging me saying that I'm wrong for the things I say about autism. And I'm like, oh, because you've been brainwashed into thinking that you are incapable because you've been brainwashed into thinking there's something wrong with you. You're just neurodiverse. And when I was first diagnosed, I was a lot older than than most. But with women, there's a huge factor of masking. And unfortunately, a lot of the diagnostic criteria is taken from men. And male and female autism is very different. And it wasn't seen so so much. Uh, so I was diagnosed off the back of the, <laughs> both my parents were diagnosed at like 50, 49 and 50. And it was actually because they were looking at me uh, and the trajectory I've faced in my life and the journey I've been on through different labels. And that's when both of them got diagnosed. I don't know how we missed this because my parents are so autistic. If you go to a restaurant with us three, it's hilarious because we're all so different. And that is just the whole point. And if you put all three of us together, you see how autism can be so different. But yeah, so I got diagnosed. I went through what a lot of people go through, the grieving process, um, kind of accepting how much of my life was just so wrong in my head. How many things I look back on and I'm like, oh my God, if only I'd known, I would have been treated so differently. Everything changed for me. And I went through a very liberating process of telling friends, of being accepted for it. I was so fortunate with my friends. I, I'm sure some of my friends don't necessarily believe that I have autism, but they would never say it. They were just supportive. Yeah. Um, and again, that comes through a lack of exposure. But there was obviously the side of it. It was like I was having a lot of hate mail. I was getting a lot of messages online that was like, you're not autistic. You don't look autistic. Like you say, you don't look autistic. You don't do these things. Like, how do you even, and I, it was just really hard. And I had, I had employers in my life basically say to my face that they didn't think I was autistic. And I know I am like, I am not necessarily proud of it. I'm going through at the moment, you go through a lot of phases with it. I'm going through a phase again where I had very much gone into a shell and I was hiding it again because it's not understood in Belgium. It's very much put down in Belgium. It's very much seen as like, we don't talk about that person with autism and we don't want to hire someone with autism. For example, um, there's something here in Belgium that I just got. um, And the way they sold this to me was almost like they were doing me a favor, but I'll see what you think when I tell you this. And they told me that if I got my autism diagnosis proven in Belgium, because they don't accept my English one, that any employer who hired me would have to pay less tax in order to have me work there. And that that would, yeah, your face says it all, that that would encourage <laughs> employer to therefore hire me, even though I have autism. And I was, standing, I was sitting there and I was like, even though I have autism, that 
phrasing. Let's talk about that because I actually do my job 150%. I'm probably going to work harder than anyone else in that office, do extra hours, probably become psycho-obsessed with my job. And I very much learn things quickly. And that's not because I'm stereotyping autism, but because I just know myself. And all I could hear in my head was ringing in my head was like, even though you have autism. So I've got to like make this employer want to hire me by them paying right. less for me. Like, what? Oh, yeah. I'm not smiling about this at all. I'm finding this extremely rude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a really big thing that we talk about all the time is that when we have those job interviews and we fill out those job applications, how many of us even mark off that checklist you know how many of us hide it because you know we'll get that stigma or we'll look less favorable in the pool of whatever number of applicants even though our cv or resume looks fucking awesome why is it that that disability like hinders us yeah it's maddening because i mean uh so I left uni and I had one job and I didn't cope. It was more like a call center environment. I wasn't, I wasn't understanding autism at the time and I had to leave. I ended up in psychiatric care. I was on all sorts of medications, the usual hoo-ha. And then, yeah, I got my diagnosis and I was really lucky because I then got a job with the National Autistic Society who were like the leading autism charity in the UK. And I'm, I think they're incredible and they do such good work like uh, raising awareness in autism and I was just on like covering someone's maternity leave and I think I probably would still be working there in some way shape or form had I not destroyed my knee and had to move back to Belgium but they I worked remotely so I got to do my job mainly from home but it did it did involve a lot of face-to-face work but what was fantastic is that you went into these scenarios with them knowing that you have autism uh, and you're there to talk about autism we were using virtual reality headsets to try and help people understand what it's like we were leading presentations and it's funny you bring up employment because the when I was working there the area that I was assigned to was uh, closing the employment gap because it was such a low percentage of people people with autism who were working versus people with autism who wanted to be working and it had only changed by one percent in like a few years so it was really low so we were doing a lot of like campaigns in line with that um I helped out with like online blogs. I was just basic. I was just doing what I do every day, which is just talking too much. Um, <laughs> but oversharing, which is such an autistic thing, is oversharing. Like we don't necessarily register what we should and shouldn't say. Um, and it was so nice because I was completely recognized my autism. My manager, Helena, was, was, God, she was fantastic. Everyone was so lovely. And I don't know how I'm ever going to be as happy as I was there in any other job, but here's hoping. And I stayed in touch with them consistently after I left. And whilst I was on literally lying on my back, having just had surgery again, we got in touch and they were putting me in touch with various places. I had been fortunate to be on TV whilst I was working there and all sorts of things. I got involved in all sorts of like online uh, media and things like that. And they said, oh, we've got this lady from the, the Guardian, the, the newspaper, who would love to interview you because I had gone and got myself sterilized not long into moving back to Belgium. And this has obviously been like a really long process and was going to be the most controversial thing I had ever done in my whole life. And I knew what I was facing and I was totally ready for it. And this was like a few years ago and I'm still the happiest ever about it. I've never had a single regret, but I knew what people were going to say and do. And what I was concerned about was that people were going to view it that I, being autistic, was doing it because I'm autistic and that it was because I didn't want to like have autistic kids or something. And I absolutely wanted to clear that up because it was not my view. So I was so ready for this. I said to the lady, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, yes. Like, I absolutely want to do this. I would love for you to interview me um, because I want to get my word out there and explain why I got sterilized and help people understand that it's not 
a one size fits all thing, all all while trying to plug a few like autistic things, like people who think that autistic people don't empathize are wrong because it's not true. It's a myth. Right. Like little little things like that. So yeah, that's how I got involved with that. And it it didn't really blossom into anything specific. I had kind of hopes that loads of people would read that article and then everybody would want me and then I would end up with my own TV show, but that didn't happen. But it did get the word out and it did open up my Instagram to followers of that kind of niche, let's say. That's amazing. Yeah, I read that article, the the one on The Guardian, right, where you talked about all the bad experiences yeah. you had with doctors and how they basically denied your right to a sterilization because you're too young or you don't know where you're talking right now or your mind's going to change. Yeah, because... <laughs> that is our sole purpose in life is to give birth to children it's the, yeah disease. No, but it doesn't matter if you're like my mom who was basically dying at one point and they said to her we're not removing your uterus like what <laughs> because it's just maddening and and because I had a diagnosis of, of autism and I also have mental illness diagnoses and yeah I can kind of be a little unstable at times uh and I have a history of suicidal issues they looked at it like this woman is not capable of making her own decision. And I was like, okay, if I come back in a week and tell you I want to get like stuff in my boobs or like mm-hmm. post action or whatever, <laughs> can I make that decision? And they were so for that. So I was like, so, you know, you could, you could put me at risk by pumping my boobs full, but you don't want to like snippy snip my, my ovaries. I just, that was mind blowing to me. So I, that was part of my case. And the first nurse I saw like essentially was like in tears at how I was treating her. Because I was, like, not taking any of her bull crap. And she went and got her, like, senior, who was, like, the top, top, top gynecologist. And thank God for Belgium, because this never would have happened in the UK. And, yeah, and she came in, and I and she said, fine, you know what, whatever. See, because she knew I wasn't going to give up. She said, yeah. you have to see a psychologist. So I saw a psychologist, and the psychologist literally at the end of the session said to me, I have never in my career said this, but I think you should get sterilized. And I was wow. like, thank you. She listened, she got it. And I was like, thank you. Oh my God. And I felt so much, in that instance, I remember actually, instead of excitement, I felt guilt. I felt guilt for all the women who I knew were not going to get that. I felt so bad that I, I felt this like, almost like imposter syndrome. I was like, why me? Why did I get this? And yet all these women were messaging me and they, they weren't getting listened to. But yeah, they, they definitely stigmatized me throughout the whole process. Like, yeah, but you know are you that disabled yeah but you have autism so like can you make a decision but it's not your choice god damn it it's mine yeah it's literally i was like i will sign a contract that says not one of you is held responsible if i change my mind like (laughs) i will have to go to therapy but like if i can change my mind excuse my language i will adopt like it's never gonna happen i can barely look after like an animal but if I ever, ever, ever changed my mind, you ever, have a turtle. You so have a beautiful kids. turtle. That's all you need. <laughs> it was it, that was the pinnacle of uh, the anger that I have faced in my life in order to have a voice, and it was definitely what gave me the confidence to be where I am now. Why do you, I go through big, big phases of isolation where I feel ashamed for how vocal I am in a world that doesn't want to hear it? But then I have these moments where I just feel liberated because I'm like, ah, excuse me. I went and made someone sterilize me totally against their will. Like up until the point they put me to sleep were still begging me to change my mind. Like legs open on a table and they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm partying my head. Just bloody do it. So if I can do that, then there's nothing I can't do. So I try and I try and channel that 
every day ever since. Wow. But so wait, so how long ago was this? And it's all done. It's all good for. Uh, just a few years ago. Jeez. Okay. So wait. The, the problem is the article was written whilst I was still with my ex. So he gets a mention in the article. That's why I want to update it because I'm like, ugh. This is <laughs> I would say 2000. And, ah, it was early 2018 because I got sterilized in 2017, and they contacted me the next year. So yeah, early. Wow. Yeah. You see, and two years later, you still haven't changed your mind. Three years no. later. You know, there, I have a bunch of tattoos. I have a lot of tattoos. And I do have moments where I get a little sad because I'm like, shit, I'm stuck with that. You know, we all have things that we kind of go, we have our moments. But this, this like sterilization thing, I, it makes me feel strong. It makes me feel like better than anything else could. I've never had a moment where I've doubted that. So what you're saying is getting a tattoo is a, a much larger decision than getting sterilized. Yeah. <laughs> like I literally bat off my sterilization. Like it's so funny when you have conversations with like, let's see like on Tinder or something and you get to that conversation where they're talking about kids and I just point blank go, I hate kids and sterilized. And yeah. <laughs> the amount of times I think I've been unmatched and I'm like, oh, Okay. But I'd rather just say it how it is. Like, I have friends with kids. I love their kids. Their kids are stunning. But, like, as a, as any of my friends will tell you, when they've seen me hold a baby, I'm just sit there like, okay, but it's not a dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, you're and you're not alone. Like, I'm noticing that a lot with my friends. Um, and it has a lot to do with, you know, the amazing independence and, and work culture that um, women are a part of. And there's just no interest, no interest now, no interest ever. There's so much shame around it. It's disgusting. Like we, we kind of find that, I think they say one in five women has admitted. I think this is the, that back when I did the article, it was like one in five women admitted that they've never spoken honestly about if they want kids mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that like, they'll say they want kids because that's what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Or my partner wants kids, so I absolutely need to think about it, even though, you know, it's like, I know people who are like, well, it's just not going to work out between you and I, even though we've been together for 10 years. Like, I'm sorry, but I really only want my dogs. Yeah. And for a lot of people as well that read the article, I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the, I got some wonderfully beautiful messages on the back of this article, but I did, of course, with anything, when you put yourself out there, I got some hilariously mean messages from mm. some fucktards that had zero education who had not read the full article like if they had there's no way they would have said these oh, things of course but and a lot of men telling me I was going to change my mind which is interesting um but I had like a there was like this little community of people that were like sliding into my dms to inform me that we are put on this <laughs> we are put on this earth oh god and I was like okay thing is if we're gonna look at the right let's talk I was like let's talk about this and I would get statistics up and I'd be like our world is overpopulated if a Mm -hmm. bunch of us make this fantastic decision to not reproduce it's really not gonna make a huge why does it matter to this person in like Germany this guy messaging me why does it affect your life and of course it was a guy there were there were a lot of women as well that messaged me that were like very butthurt they were very much like I read your article and um I can't have kids and I just felt like it's really disgusting of you like read just I don't know why I went into a fake American <laughs> you sounded Californian for a second my bad there were a lot of people that were like and I listen like I feel one of my best friends really wants kids and she can't have kids and we had this discussion because mm. I said look I don't want to hurt your feelings but like this is my life let me do me 
here's the thing. And I said this to this lady then. I was like, there are things in place for you. There's adoption. I know it doesn't mean birthing your own kid, but it's still a kid. There's IVF. There's all sorts of treatments these days. And there's funding behind trying to help women who cannot have their own children. There's yeah. nothing for people that don't want kids. There's just shame. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, the biggest thing, too, is my decision should not affect yours in I, any way. shape. Like, I... People I love want. children. I definitely want to have kids. And I think it's it is a blessing that women have more of a capability than men to be able to birth another human being. That is that is in many ways a miracle. But some people have 10 kids. Doesn't it make up for the fact that that person is overpopulating and you're not? You know, if my friend pumps out another kid, she'll have five. So there, she's done it for me. Right, exactly. Like people were not that totally aside, you know, it being my own decision, blah blah blah. People were not actually picking up on my reasons beyond the actual preference. Like, you know, I don't like black coffee that much, so I'm probably never gonna drink (laughs) black coffee unless I have to. Same theory for me that I don't like kids, but I like cats. But people were ignoring uh the other side of it, which was that like a lot of people with Ellis Danlos die giving birth. A lot of people with Ellis Danlos pass it on genetically. I have not only Elizabeth, but five diseases or disorders that can be genetically passed down. I personally saw it as almost like child abuse to be fully aware. And I mm-hmm. say this from my personal position because there are people I know who have conditions and still birth their own child and I'm not judging them. But for right. me, it felt abusive because I cannot handle watching my child. I wouldn't handle it. I would not treat that child respectively knowing that I gave them that. And I see that because my mom always says to me that she feels a little guilt. She does. Because if she'd known, she might not have had kids. Mm-hmm. Because she's watched her kids be hospitalized. She's watched us nearly die so many times. She's watched us suffer. She's watched us face stigma. She's watched us just have this really difficult time. And she feels the blame in times. And although it's not rational, I totally understand why she feels that way. And therefore, for me, it was like, I would feel wrong doing this. I can adopt if I want a child, which I don't. Rather than pass this all on knowingly, and then this kid say to me one day, if you knew, why did you do this? And they could be sicker than me. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's such a risk. I say that I have a friend who has a Lozanos, and she's had two beautiful children, one of which does have their difficulties, but they're two beautiful children. She's very much suffering with her health, but she, like, adores her children. So it's not that, like, nobody should have kids who has a disability. I think that's the worst mentality. But for me personally, and this is what people right. were not getting, was it felt wrong for me. Um, yeah. And you I, know what your own personal capabilities are, as did she. She knows that she was yeah. fully capable of doing so with her EDS yeah. as well. These you are personal like decisions. The time, that, like, that woman was addicted to heroin, so she shouldn't have children. And I'm like, well, how is that that different to my situation? <laughs> in the sense that, like, I am going to be a terrible fucking mom. And honestly, like... I just don't have a mother's instinct. I'm selfish and I'm probably going to be off drinking with my buddies and dropping the kid off at it's like at a friend's house. I am just as irresponsible and like I don't ju- I don't judge anyone. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's the problem is I have this naive mentality all the time that people will understand everything is personal and that they will not put themselves into my situation. That's just not how the world works. But and I'm we not- know a lot of people who sh- really shouldn't be parents who are not men- mentally exactly. capable, financially capable or have just very very unstable ways of living to be able to care for another child and yeah we learn from those mistakes and we live with it but if you can avoid that just 
mad to me. Like people are, people need to sit down and stop judging each other. It's just so frustrating. I've spent my entire life being judged and I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to give you something to judge. Like here, have this today. This, but <laughs> it's a very ostracizing thing. It's very isolating. And that's why, especially during this, coming back to that, during this isolation, people are like, are you okay? Are you coping? I'm like, ah, ah, ah. this is like my whole life. I'm just glad up. to see that everybody's doing it with me. Exactly. Like, welcome to my world. And the thing is with the, with the sterilization, I've told people before and they've looked at me with tears in their eyes and they've been like, I'm so sorry and I'm like no no I'm elected sterilized right and they're like what does that mean and I'm like I I literally paid someone to sterilize me and they right. just like they have to almost sit down and I'm like do you like and are we still living in a time where we think that's the be all and end all like if I haven't just told you I'm dying and like, and not what? to mention there's so many children that need adoption exactly and I've been saying that since my mom records me saying that when I was seven I said mom why don't why don't we adopt? There's so many kids that have no one to love them. I was saying that from a very young age. So I know I was such a cute little fucker. And you know, I I I don't I I can't actually remember the last time I even considered children. I think I was in a relationship once where I looked at the person and thought like you would make really attractive babies. But <laughs> I can't imagine myself. People say this all the time. You can't imagine yourself with a kid until you have one. No 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 no. <laughs> I can kind of see where it would go wrong, but I cannot imagine an existence for me where I would want something with me 24 7 I just don't like I can barely hold that relationship (laughs) for at least what age does that become acceptable you know people look at me as like you're so young and I'm like you say that but I left home when I was 15 I'm not that young and experienced I've been making decisions for myself for a really long time so when someone says like oh you'll change your mind you'll get to 35 and regret it I'm like well when I'm 35 I'm gonna be like 50 at which point I'm gonna own a Harley and be covered in tattoos so and it's not your decision. Just honestly, just drop it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, unsolicited advice goes hand in hand with putting yourself on the Internet. <laughs> Jesus. And it sounds like, I mean, it's always a mix. You know, you get a little more support online versus in real life, a little less support mm-hmm. online versus it really just depends who's watching and who's because there's judgment everywhere. But there's also communities like ours where we just talk about our own experience learn from other experiences and that's it I move think it's on fantastic. with your lives absolutely fantastic like I've had a lot of people have I, I did sociology for my degree so I love a debate and I love when people bring up social media I love it I am so ready I have so much ammo and I'm like I didn't exist as a person in myself until I found platforms mm-hmm. like yours like similar places like there's you know autoimmune pages there's chronic illness pages just mm-hmm. anyone who has normalized not being like everybody else and where we celebrate diversity, where we acknowledge it and we educate and we kind of enjoy it. We make a laugh out of it. And that's my attitude. I have a sense of humor with these things. Like, you know, I'm partially incontinent. I make a joke about it all the time. I'm like, I might wet myself. It's kind of the fun thing I do. And I couldn't do that until I had social media because the people on social media are more likely to be open to this stuff. And it's the thing I love doing. I love checking into Instagram and seeing what hilarious stories people have about their daily adaptations they've had to make. And also the serious side of it. You know, there are times where I've been significantly low and I've taken the balls of putting it on my, my Instagram story, on my Facebook. And the response is just, be- sometimes it's just beautiful. And it just makes you feel so loved in a way that you might not necessarily get in, this, in the community around you, even if you have fantastic mm-hmm. friends. Sometimes you need to give your friends a break and let some nice person on the internet tell you that you're wonderful. Exactly. Um, it's not anyone's burden a, or your own. Uh-uh. 
Yeah, but, and the beautiful thing about social media too is if we didn't have that, we wouldn't know that we're not alone because the media, the t- the TV, movies, they don't show people like us. Yeah, and the autistic folks that you see in the movies, it's always it's always oh, like God. hyper it's always a male. It's always a guy. It... <laughs> I mean, there's some fun. I love, I love watching like medical shows. So I have, in fact, watched like The Good Doctor. Uh, is it called the A Word or something? Uh, there's quite a few shows that have an autistic representative being played by a neurotypical, which really drives me mad. Hire an autistic mm-hmm. person. Um, and I've seen a few shows where they've been, you know, using autism in it. It's usually a dude, and it's usually super stereotypical like there's a fantastic book curious incident of the dog in the night time i love that book but once i got my diagnosis and i went to see the musical it made me shiver because i was like oh this is so wrong like there were so many things wrong with the autistic representation i was like i would love to sit down with this with the writer and explain why this is not okay and i would like it to be a woman just so we have one time like i someone make me famous so i can have a show about autism for women please god and it's it's like not helping people to understand. So then that's the purpose of social media. That is the purpose and the drive behind the things I do. Because if one person lands on my Instagram and learns one thing about autism or any of my diagnoses, then it's like job done. Like all of the bad doesn't matter anymore. Because I, I screenshot every every message I get from a stranger on the internet. I screenshot it. It's bad. And then I tend to block them or have an argument and then block them depending on the day. But the nice, the nice stuff, I screenshot and I sometimes share it. But I mainly screenshot it because on a day where I'm feeling really low, I go back and I look at all these messages and they're just some lovely, people say the loveliest things. And often people come to you and they're like, okay, I'm not going to lie. I didn't really like mm-hmm. you at school, but I've been following your social media and wow, so much respect, like, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, that's why I do it because now you get why I was weird in school. Now you right. get why yeah. I did these things. Like now you get why your friend with autism doesn't like you acting this way towards them. Like it's just so important. But yeah, I mean, you know, it social media has its it's good and it's bad and there have been many moments as my followers know that I have deleted and deactivated and reactivated because it's difficult sometimes you can't you know I'm not a superhuman and just because I have an up moment doesn't mean I don't have a down moment but I, I always come back to Instagram I always come back to Facebook owned apps annoyingly because it's just such a world that I don't see outside of my phone uh, and things like this, this, the stuff that you're doing, spreading awareness just by talking to people, like, you can't get closer than the actual person. And that's that's what needs to happen. A lot more of our voices and a lot more of our stories just need to get put on the table because we're silenced way mm-hmm. too often in our freaking workplaces, you know, in our yeah. own social lives. So this is this is where we start. And it's just the beginning. But we're going to we're going to go ahead and link your Instagram page and the other articles that you've written and been a part of so that people get to know you a lot more and get a chance to follow you and follow your journey. <laughs> Warning, do not open on train or in public places. <laughs> um, you know what? It, it's so nice because I, actually this was a huge thing for my anxiety. Like I think we've been emailing back and forth for a while because I was like, I want to do it, but you got to pick a day where I'm feeling like on it. And I told a few friends, I've been like, oh, there's this like podcast thing that I want to do. And I'm like really scared. And they were like, how are you? Why? Literally Rose, like that's your talent is just talking that is, to uh-huh. people. I, I, and so you know, many podcasts, yeah. It's really good. I really, really, really like to think that, you know, you never know who is going to land on these kind of things. And you know, I have learned so much through the most random podcast 
that like I literally had no idea about and I wasn't really interested in but I got interested in because I was listening to it so that's the whole purpose behind these things and also podcasts as well like are something I was not familiar with until 2020 um and now I'm like a podcast obsessed person seriously Um, and it's a new thing now everybody's starting it especially with this pandemic it's the new thing (laughs) great timing here I am (laughs) no but honestly I mean it's it's all about really just getting to know how different we are of people of humans it answers those questions doesn't it like you know for example I'll take you as an example like often I think when somebody has something that is like visibly or invisibly diverse like you and your hand it's like most people will walk on eggshells around the situation rather than ask you directly because in one sense we're scared to like offend but in another it's like is this my place to ask? And I think that the benefit of having a podcast like this, like this is you're answering questions people might be quite scared to approach. Mm. You know, I have, I have a friend of mine, it took me like four years to ask her if she could see me through her left eye um, because she was in a massive accident and she has like, she has both her eyes, but like one of them doesn't really move. And I didn't really understand like what vision she still had. I just never asked and she never talked about it. And then one day I just, did it I just asked her and she was like why have you never asked because I didn't want to offend you and it made me realize that like people don't ask because they're scared but if you're right. talking about or they're them, waiting for they're please. waiting for you to mention it exactly yeah well Rose don't ever honestly don't ever feel scared or feel like you need to be on at all times when you talk to us because you're always gonna be welcome if there's something that you want to just get off your chest make sure that the world knows you will always have a platform here, okay? You will always be invited back. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure you've had a lot of coffee when you talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> We're on such major time differences. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm like, oh, my day is ending. And you're like, my day is starting. <laughs> I know. No, seriously, thank you so much. We really appreciate you, and you're always welcome back. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Disabled Girls out. Thanks for listening to Disabled Girls Who Left. We appreciate all of your support and everyone who's taken the time to show us some love. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or write a review of our channel. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Google Podcasts, and more. You can also find us on Instagram at Disabled Girls Who Left.